You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. We are continuing our five-week series. This is called Changed. And uh, this is a, a discipleship conversation. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to disciple others to be like Jesus, to follow Jesus? And uh, we decided to split up our discipleship conversation. Usually we have a 10-week series. And uh, this year we're going to do two five-week series. And we're going to use stories. We're going to use, instead of it being very didactic, a teacher up here teaching concepts and those kinds of things, we're going to take a look at stories and see what we could gain from those stories, from the experiences of the disciples as they watched Jesus do what Jesus did. What did that mean to them about discipleship? This week, we're in my favorite book of the Bible, John, the Gospel of John, And in one of my favorite stories in my favorite book of the Bible, um, found in John chapter 8. So we're going to jump in right away. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, This woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Remember last week I said, hey, pay attention to the the folks um, engaging with Jesus. What do they call him? As they engage with Jesus, what they call him teacher. This woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women what then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. So the religious leaders, they come to Jesus, they bring this woman caught in adultery in the, in the very act, and they, they're testing him. What's that about? Well, the, um, they're really backing Jesus into a corner. The, the law says that, that she must be stoned. But Rome says you don't get to carry out capital punishment. And so no matter what Jesus answers here, Jesus is in trouble, right? They're trying to back Jesus into a corner. Rome had taken capital punishment out of their hands. And so the, the religious leaders felt like their hands were tied when, when it came to dealing with, with sin. And they assumed that the Messiah would certainly keep the law and deal with Rome. So the religious leaders are basically saying, hey, if you are the Messiah, do your job. Deal with this woman and then deal with Rome. That's what's going on in this story. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. But when they had persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, 
He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. You may have heard this line before. It's kind of famous. It's hashtagable. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on and sin no more. Now, John, John tells us that the, the religious leaders, they came with an agenda, right? They came to test Jesus. They came to, to accuse him. They came to declare that he was not the Messiah. And they acted like, they acted like they wanted justice. Now, th- this is why I say that. Take a look at this next passage. This is Leviticus 20. This is, this is the law that they're referring to. This is the law that the religious leaders say that Moses put down on pen and paper, as it were. It says this, if a man is, who commits adultery, if there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be surely put to death. Okay? So this is the command. Seems kind of harsh, right? Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but we stopped doing this. We stopped killing people because of adultery. Um, that could be a way of population control, I guess. Not a great way, but it would work. Um, why is this command so harsh? I don't know if you've ever had someone uh, commit adultery with your wife. I, I have my first wife, not, not Christy, my first wife. Make that very clear. Um, and I wanted to kill someone. Can I get an amen? Like, if, you, if, if you've ever had this happen to you, you want to kill someone. And I think, I think the Lord is just taking that out of the individual's hands and, and putting it into the hands of the community. But mercy was always the better option. Mercy was always the better option. Think about uh, Joseph and the account of Joseph in, in Matthew chapter 1. We're told that he was a righteous man and that and that he, he didn't want to publicly disgrace Mary. So Matthew is celebrated for his righteousness because of his mercy. So we have to understand that. But did you notice something about Leviticus that doesn't show up in John chapter 8? Where in the world is the man? Where is the man? Did you notice that in John chapter 8, the focus is this woman. It's quite literally these women in the Greek. These women, these women are committing adultery. What are you going to do about this? In Leviticus, the man is the first and foremost. Like 
first and foremost, we need to deal with the man. So I don't think they really wanted justice in the first place. Let's take a look at this picture. This is uh, Lady Justice, and notice that she's blindfolded. This is based off of a, a Roman goddess, and even, even the, the heathens understand that justice should have complete impartiality. She's blindfolded so that, so that justice is impartial. Justice doesn't come in with its own agenda. Justice doesn't come in with its own prejudice. And yet, that's what the Pharisees had. That's what the religious leaders had. They had their own agenda. They had their own prejudice. It's the women causing the problem. If you're the Messiah, deal with these women. Is our truth blind to prejudice and, and our own agenda? When we're Facebooking people, when we're posting to Twitter, when we're on Instagram, when we're at the water cooler at the office, is our truth blind to our own prejudice and our own agenda, or is it tainted? Well, God has something to say about our truth. It's an important question for us to wrestle with. See, while the Pharisees and the religious leaders came with an agenda, Jesus came with purpose. I, he wanted to deal with sin, right? But in John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And he lives it out with this woman in John chapter 8. He spared her life, and he set her on a new path. That's the kind of Savior that we need. The religious leaders, they focused on sin, and, and sin's, sin's important conversation. But they had a narrow outward focus about sin. They saw everybody else's sin and were blinded to their own sin. That's always dangerous. Always dangerous. And maybe you've met someone like that. they super clear about where everybody else is sinning, but they are so blind to their own faults. They could talk nonstop about other people's problems and just ignore their own. I've been that person. Have you ever been that person? I've been there. See, they saw the sins of this woman and they, and they thought that taking her life was going to set things right bring about justice. Jesus had a better solution. In Romans 5, we're told that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I, I need a 
Savior today. I did enough things wrong yesterday. I was hanging out with Art, so I did enough things wrong. It's not Art's fault. I, I still need a Savior. I've been following Christ for, what, 45 years? 46 years? Don't do the math. I've been following Christ a long time. I still need a Savior this year. There's things in my heart. There's, there's automatic responses that come out of me, and I'm like, oh, that was ugly. Uh, you still don't want to see me on reserve. <laughs> I have to repent so many times driving down reserve. Can I get an amen? See, guys, the full grace and truth of Jesus set the woman on a new path. That's Christ's solution to sin. Grace and truth that sets us on a new path. Jesus, we're told, is full of grace and truth, and grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. John starts out his gospel that way in John chapter 1. He is full of grace and truth, and grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now, the word for full in the Greek is pleres. I don't think I gave you this one. I didn't. So it's not up there. We'll get to the slide here in just a second. But the, the Greek word for full means abounding, complete, completely occupied with. Now, maybe you've said this. I know I have. I've said this to my wife a couple times. Um, Hun, you showed them too much grace. Now, did I mean like too full, too, too abounding, too complete, too completely occupied? Is that too much? The reality is that when it comes to grace and truth, we have a hard time, like Lady Justice, having that balanced. How do you balance grace and truth? By having full grace and full truth like Jesus. That's what we're called to. As a church, as Christians, we are called to full grace and full truth because that is who Jesus is. That's why he came and put on flesh to live amongst us. This is so central to the gospel, according to John, and what he saw and what he wanted to communicate. Now, uh, for me, there are times where it's where like 100% grace and I don't know if I could share all the truth with them. You know, like, you can't handle the truth, right? Sometimes a lot of grace, eh, but not as much truth because that seems harder. I th- might offend them, whatever. Sometimes I'm like 100% truth and we'll get to the grace next month or next year. Quite literally, uh, when the kids were young, I thought, you know what? My wife, is, she's good with the grace stuff. I'm good with the true stuff. We make, a good, we make a good marriage. And that's all fine and good until God came to me one day and said, you're not like my son. He is full of grace and truth all the time. You have some more growing up to do, Rob. 
And so I had, to, I had to wrestle with that. I had to start dealing with that. I had to start facing the fact that I'm not always gracious. There's three tools of discipleship that, that always have to be true. Time, grace, and truth. Jesus demonstrates this. Three years doing everything with his disciples. As far as we can tell, more or less 24-7, he spent his life with them. Time, grace, and truth. This is why we do life transforming groups. This is why we do care groups above and beyond Sunday morning. We need time together. We need time to figure it out together. But we also need grace and truth in those environments. If we have life transforming groups and we have care groups and we have all the time in the world together, but we're missing either grace or truth, are we really discipling people? The answer is no. The answer is no. So I want to take a closer look at grace and truth. And we'll start with grace. Here's, uh, here's the two, uh, two words uh, in the Greek and Hebrew, cheris and hein. You have to say that with more phlegm than I could muster up there. Hein. Uh, and these are how those words are translated throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want you to take a look at this picture. This is the Hebrew word. It's written from right to left. And uh, the, the word on the right, the letter on the right is a, is a chet. Uh, it's a picture of a wall. The, the noon on the left, the letter on the left, that's a picture of either something sprouting or, or fish. It means life. Grace has this picture of providing protection and life for someone. That's what grace means. This word shows up first in uh, Genesis 8, 6, when it says that uh, Noah received favor, received grace from the Lord. It's the first time it shows up in the Bible. This word shares a root with another Hebrew word that means to camp. That's fascinating. What, what does camping have to do with grace? I know some of you are thinking about, you know, man, I need to get my camper ready. <laughs> Starting to warm up. I'm going to throw some things on the barbecue and you know, head to the mountains. Um, when you take this idea of, of a wall that provides separation and, and provides life and, and connected to a camp, you get this next picture. <laughs> Train an old dog. <laughs> so, in a nomadic community, like you found in ancient Israel, as you're traveling, picture Abraham. As Abraham is traveling, he's off the beaten path. He's, he's outside of community. He needs a safe place to stay. He comes, he comes along and he sees the camp. 
they would circle up their tents like, like in Old West, we would circle up our wagons. And circling up the tents, that camp would provide a wall of protection. Grace is when you invite people into the camp. Grace is when you give someone something that they don't have themselves. They don't, they, they, they don't possess it. And so this woman caught in adultery, Jesus provides protection. He provides safety for her. He says, I don't condemn you either. He could have. He was the only one there that was without sin. He said, let the first one who's without sin, let him throw the stone. Jesus didn't pop up. He, he went back down and started writing in the ground. By the way, I think Jesus showed grace and truth to the religious leaders as well because Jesus was always full of grace and truth. We don't, we don't know what he wrote on the ground, but whatever he wrote was full of grace and truth. And we don't know how that moment spoke to those re religious leaders Maybe they were part of the 3,000 that came to Christ at Pentecost. Wouldn't that be good news? Lives change because of grace and truth. So the grace camp invites you in. It gives you what you do not already possess. It provides safety, community, belonging. It sets you on a right path again. And when you're in that nomadic community and, and you're traveling between camps, you need that next camp to invite you in. And we see Abraham live this out when the Lord shows up to his camp. Where was Abraham sitting when the Lord showed up? He was sitting at his tent, at the door of his tent. He was looking for people to invite in, to provide safety to to provide what they didn't already have for themselves. Let's talk about truth. Let's talk about truth. Truth is reality, it's sincerity, it's truth in the moral sphere, it's divine truth revealed to man, it's, it's straightforwardness. And, and, in my relationship with Jesus, I have learned so many truths. I've learned truths about myself. Wow, that needs to change. Truths about life. I've learned truths about the Father and, and how he sees me. Like my thoughts about how God views me is not, like doesn't naturally match up to the scriptures. Like his mercies are new every morning. Are you kidding me? That's good news. Because I need them every morning. I need those truths. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Our discipleship needs to introduce people to truths found within the scriptures because those truths will set you free. Now, those truths are not always popular right? Uh, we're, we're, we're getting that question answered as we knock on people's doors and we go, hey, can we ask you some questions? Or like, 
No, I got to wash my hair this morning or this afternoon. I don't have time for you. I have, I have, I have water boiling on the stove. I don't want to talk to some pastor. They, some of the truths that we have are not super popular. Even if we don't stone people who commit adultery, you know, we gave that up. Jesus has a different plan here. Um, I think what's dangerous about truth, though, is when we come with our own presuppositional truth. When we come presupposing we know what the truth is. I think that's, what, that's what's super dangerous about truth. The religious leaders, they came to the conversation with their own agenda. They called him teacher. But were they ready to be taught? Now they were. We don't know what Jesus wrote on the ground. Whatever it was, starting with the eldest to the youngest, they got the message. Because Jesus is that good. He really is. Two errors I want to avoid at Mission Ridge. Pretending like we're perfect. Pretending like we got it all together. Nothing kills grace like pride. The second thing, acting like we have nothing to learn. Acting like we've got God 100% figured out. I don't know if you notice this or not, but we're pretty finite. And he's infinite. We haven't even explored all the oceans. That's have you ever thought about that? There's parts of the ocean that we have not seen. That's on a planet that we have existed on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, maybe longer, depending on your view of a young or old planet. We haven't explored all the oceans, let alone the one that spoke the universe into existence. If you're not learning new things from God on, on a regular basis... It's a scary place. And as a church, we need to let God lead us and teach us all the time. We value roughly right. We value that. But we will seek to be full of grace and truth as a community of people. So some implications. Number one. And there's only three this week. We'll see what happens with the slides. Uh, experiencing the full grace and truth of Jesus changes your path in life. <laughs> uh, experiencing the full grace and truth of Jesus changes your path in life. I, I talked with a, a good friend of mine, Donald Dunlap, yesterday. Uh, no, the day before that. Uh, Donald uh, was a heroin addict living in Moscow, Idaho, and his life was a mess. A group of people, a group of Christians saw, saw where Donald was at, and, uh, and they said, hey, we'll send you a treatment. They raised the $3,000 for him to go to treatment. That is 
grace. That is providing something to someone, safety, security, community, that they don't have within themselves. He had no ability to pay for that. And while he was at treatment, he learned some new truths. And he learned the, those new truths in an atmosphere of grace, but he had to take a spiritual inventory. He had to take an inventory of, of his past decisions and, and the way he treated people. And, and he had to figure out who he needed to make amends to. And he had to learn new truths about himself and about his relationship with God. Now, after treatment, he came back to Moscow, and we had to provide a grace camp for him there as well. We needed, when you're an addict, oftentimes you have to walk away wholesale from, from that old community, because if you, if you try to walk back into that community, they will suck you right back into the addictive lifestyle. So we had to help him replace that community with the with a community that would continue to show him grace and truth. And I was part of that community. I got to, to grow up with Donald and I was one of his pastors. What was so cool was to see him invite other people into the, that grace camp. The number of times I went to Donald and said, Donald, there's a gal that, that uh, she's going to go to jail if, if we don't send her to treatment. Will you help us raise the $3,000 to send her? He's like, absolutely. He was the first to write a check. Every time. The full grace and truth of Jesus changed Donald's life. He's now married. He has a six-year-old son. And today, he gets to baptize his son and continue to teach him what it means to live within this grace camp. Have you experienced the full grace and truth of Jesus? Because if you haven't, we want to be part of that with you. We invite you in. We know that you're roughly right. So are we. And we'll go on this journey with you to figure out who this God is and what it means to live for him. A second implication. You must learn to balance grace and truth. Probably every one of us has a propensity to lean one direction or the other. Right? You probably already have it figured out. Yep, I'm great at grace, but not the truth. Or I'm great at truth, but... How do you spell grace again? Ask Al. Al will help you out. Barbie can too. It's so easy to be out of balance when it comes to grace and truth. The religious leaders, they had zero grace, but 100% of their own truth, what they thought was true. And we, and we know people like that. But what if we're like the religious leaders only for our own reasons? What if we have our own 
agendas? What if we have our own prejudices that get in the way of us really knowing the truth that God wants to teach us? What if we come to God and we open up our scriptures on a regular basis, but we don't really come ready to be taught? We call him teacher, but our heart is closed to learning. When it comes to ourselves, I I think uh, sometimes we could be the least gracious to ourselves. Like I could show you grace all day long. Showing grace to myself, man, I expect judgment all the time. And I do this for a living. Like I get paid to follow Jesus. Sometimes uh, we're afraid about the truth about ourselves. We have fear of seeing as being seen as being wrong or having faults. And so we hide it because we're afraid of losing love or approval. Or we have a fixed view of ourselves based on, on some event decades ago, but that one event still seems to define us today. Or maybe we lack the skills or resources to deal with what we find. And so again, we just hide it. We need to be a people, we need to be a church where we're the safest place to go, I don't have any of this figured out. What I really love is in this town, as senior pastors, some guys have created a space for us senior pastors to come together and we could talk about how we don't have it figured out and we know we're safe. That's cool. That's cool. I love what's going on in this town. And then if we're out of balance with ourselves, what do you think we're going to be with others? If we're not very gracious to ourselves, eventually we'll not be very gracious to others. There's, we will live congruent lives, even incongruently. <laughs> if we can't deal with the truth of ourselves, we're not going to be able to see other people truthfully. Days back there wrestling with what I just said. So, you must learn to balance grace and truth. And finally, discipleship always balances grace and truth. It always balances it. Jesus is our Lord and our standard for discipleship. If we say that we're making disciples but we're out of balance with either grace. You know, they just, they, just need, they just need truth. They just need to hear the truth. I gave them the truth. Man, that felt good. Or, or we're out of balance with truth. <sighs> I know they need to hear it. Uh, Jen, you tell them. Is this how you, is this how you pass the buck in the Christian church? <laughs> I'm not telling them, you tell them. No one's telling them. Okay. Pressing on. More grace. Everybody gets grace today. 
All right. Let me say this. If you're just figuring out who Jesus is, that's okay. That's where we all start. He offers you grace. Grace that invites you in. Grace that gives you what you don't already have. Grace that sets you on a new path. And he offers you truth. Truth about you. He created you. Donald was talking to me the other day about he's still learning truth about himself because he didn't have a father in his life. And so his heavenly father's teaching him how to be a man. What a great story. And truth about himself. He wants to teach you who he is. He sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father. He's a risen Savior. He wants you to know him. He wants you to enjoy him. He wants to do life with you. He wants to show you grace and truth. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.